You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. This morning we are looking at Psalm 145. And there are some unique characteristics about the Psalms in general that I think we have to consider if we are studying them. The Psalms sit in a unique position among the rest of Scripture. You see, it, it sits in, because the Psalms were, were written to be prayed. They were written to be sung. They were written to be a response to God. You know, it sits in this special place of being both the Word of God and being a response to God. Uh, a paraphrase of, of a fourth century theologian, Athanasius, he puts it like this. He says, the Psalms have a unique place in the Bible because most of Scripture speaks to us while the Psalms speak for us. It is the word from God to be spoken to God. God, in his perfect wisdom, knew that there was going to be moments where we wouldn't have the words, that, that we wouldn't know how to express our joy, our grief, our hurt, our happiness, you know, whatever. And so he gave us the Psalms to teach us to pray. You know, when, when you hear the phrase, teach us to pray, most of us think of when the disciples asked Jesus in the New Testament to teach them to pray. And we call that the Lord's Prayer, and it goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, this is, this is a beautiful, perfect framework of prayer. But when we look at the entirety of Scripture, it is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to biblical instruction that God has given us on teaching and training us how to communicate with him. Martin Luther wrote that the Psalms are interwoven with the Lord's Prayer in such a way that we can understand each through the other very well and see their happy harmony. Let's pray, and we're going to jump in. Dearly Father, um, God, we come before you today humbly professing your greatness. God, we know that uh, there are moments um, when, when we don't know how to process, when we don't know how to express, and so, God, we thank you and we praise you that you've given us the Psalms, that you've taught us, that you've given us the words for us so that when we don't have them, you will speak them for us. So God, we love you and we praise you. You know we pray. Amen. All right, so in addition to these unique things about the Psalms in general, there are also some unique characteristics about Psalm 145 specifically. There are 150 Psalms, and the 145th is the last one that is attributed to David. It's the last one that he is credited with writing. And, and though the Psalms aren't necessarily chronological, they're actually mostly kind of arranged by theme, uh, but it is widely accepted that, that this psalm was written when David was near the end of his life. 
So David is quite old, and he's looking back on his life, and this is a response. And surprisingly, it is the only psalm that has been titled a psalm of praise or a song of praise. Uh, you know, depending on the translation that you're reading, it could say a praise of David, a song of praise. Um, but it is the only one to be titled so. And it is also written in what is called an acrostic poem. And so I don't know if, about you elementary school students that are out there, but an acrostic poem is, is uh, a, a poem that is written in a particular pattern. It, has, it basically has a, uh, a particular set of letters that would spell out a word or message or phrase. And this one in particular is an alphabetic acrostic. And so what that means is that each, uh, for, for each line, it would, every verse would begin with a consecutive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so clearly this is something that we would lose in translation, right? Because words don't, aren't spelled the same from language to language. And, and so luckily, I should say thankfully, uh, we are blessed with millennia of biblical research uh, and, and study. And so we have this insight that we might not otherwise have had if we were just reading it ourselves. And, and so we praise God for that. Um, but on the final note uh, of, of kind of the unique things about this uh, is that, as I've already said, it's, it's a poem. It, is, it was written to be read out loud and all at once, together. You know, one thing that we like to do with scripture when we study it is to divide it up into bite-sized pieces so that we can process and digest its meaning, which can be a really, really great thing. And, and it is a really great thing. But because this is a poem, uh, or rather a song, we are meant to read it in its entirety, at least before we break it down. And so the reason for this is, is simple and straightforward. If you were, say you, you have a song that you really like, would you just listen to the chorus of that song? No, you, you would listen to the entire song. If you, if you really liked a song, would you just read the lyrics without ever speaking or singing it out loud? No, of, of course not. This is, it is an art form that is meant to be expressed through our voices and out loud. And without speaking and hearing, it cannot be fully expressed and it cannot be fully enjoyed. And so, this isn't something that we normally do, um, but today I want to do the work of engaging with our scripture as much as we possibly can. And so, let's stand together as, as I read through Psalm 145. It says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your work to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. 
They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears the cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Wow. That title wasn't a joke, right? A psalm of praise indeed. It's something that I love about this psalm is that it is just overwhelming, right? It is like, to use a gross picture, uh, it is like the projectile vomit of praise, right? <laughs> it, I mean, David says he will, he will extol, he will bless, he will praise, he will commend, he will declare, meditate, speak, pour forth, sing aloud, and give thanks. It magnifies the goodness and the greatness of God, something that we need reminded of daily. One of the many problems that, that Christians face, or, or one of the problems that many Christians face, is a familiarity with the things of God. You know, something that, that we run into is, is as a result of being around religious things, about uh, being in church uh, uh, regularly, is we can slowly, if we are not careful, lose an awe of God. My friends, there is nothing more dangerous for a believer than losing his or her awe of God. If you, if you don't live with a sense of awe before God, it will negatively affect every aspect of your life. Your relationships will suffer. You'll make bad decisions. You'll spend money wrongly. You'll drift into idolatry. All of this tracing back to the fact that God has ceased to impress you. Because after all, you've seen that before. You've read that before. I've experienced that before. Show me something I haven't seen yet. Right? We live in this, this world of, of new. Everything is new. And as soon as it ceases to be new, it ceases to be interesting. And it ceases to be relevant. And this just cannot be the case for followers of, of God, of Christ. And this psalm is most certainly not written by someone who has lost their awe of God. Am I right? You know, David is absolutely blown away by God. And he's bursting to tell him about just how amazed he is. Right, and this brings me to the one and only point that I have for you today, and it is this. It is our greatest responsibility and our greatest joy to praise the name of God. That's it. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. It is our greatest responsibility and our greatest joy to praise the name of God. The Westminster Catechism puts it, puts it this way. He says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
You see, David, through his writing, reminds us that there is nothing better, nothing more fulfilling, nothing more right than to make great the name of God. And when we praise God, we are teaching our souls a proper posture. We're reinforcing a right spirit within us. And I I really think this is what David is doing, at least in part, with this scripture. When he wrote this, is this is an exercise in praise. He's telling himself, he's looking back on his life and telling himself, don't you forget. Don't you forget who he is and what he's done. Because David needed reminding just like us from time to time. David was human like us and he failed and yet we know him as a man after God's heart. Why? Because David's heart was pointed towards God. It didn't mean that he didn't fail. It just meant that when he did, he owned it and he sought forgiveness and he delighted in the Lord's mercy and forgiveness. Always admitting his his inability to earn his undeserved nature of it. How many of us can say that we delight in the Lord's mercy? I mean, I certainly do at times. But if I'm honest with myself, more often than I care to admit, I want to think and act like I deserve it somehow. Let me tell you, I don't. (laughs) And there is so much that we can learn from David as we read through this scripture. So let's break it down a little chunk by chunk. So David lays this psalm out in in roughly four different kind of sections. And verses 1 through 3 focus on praising God for particular attributes. They focus on praising God for his unsearchable greatness. And so let's read those verses again. It says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. The first thing I notice when when I read this psalm is David's adamant resolve to praise. These these I will statements are, are a commitment. This is not a feeble promise to praise as long as everything is sunshine and rainbows. Right? Remember, this is, this is David in his old age. This is David who was hunted for years by Saul. This is, this is David whose kingdom was usurped by his own son. This is David who had an affair with another man's wife and murdered to cover it up. This is David who has seen some ups and downs, right? And he is saying, every day I will bless you and praise your name. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Now for us, the word great is grossly overused, right? You know, we use it for everything. We use it for completely mundane things. I mean, we live in the age of hyperbole and marketing, right? Where we always want to use the most expressive words we can, regardless of whether or not they're applicable, right? We, we use them to describe mundane things like hamburgers and deodorant. It's just so great right? But it's not. <laughs> it's deodorant. And, and we use it to name powerful people as well. So like we're using this same descriptor to describe just these, it's just, it's bonkers, all right? Uh, we, we think like Alexander the Great. 
Or maybe you've heard someone say that, that I've been in the presence of greatness when, when they describe an encounter with you know, some famous politician or, or famous person. We give titles to talented athletes like the GOAT. And if you don't know, the GOAT is the greatest of all time. And, and so my, my intention isn't here to, to belittle or, or to downplay the significance of influential people or gifted people, but all of these human displays of greatness pale in comparison to the greatness of God. It is only of God that we can honestly say, great is your name and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. And so we are presented with a choice here to join David in praise or not. Because the Psalms, as we already said, you know, this is a song. So they are meant to be engaged with. We were created, designed with praise in mind. We were designed to praise. And so we will praise something. The psalm is, is addressing every person that has ever lived or ever will live. It's not written for a small group of super religious people that are interested in the topic of praise. No, everyone will praise something. So what or who will it be for you? Who sits on the throne in your heart? Now, nobody says things like, oh, praise me. Praise my name forever and ever, right? No one says, praise my talented child. Or everybody, look at this great house I've built. It is so great that you should praise me for making it so great. No, nobody, nobody, if you heard somebody say that out loud, you'd think, this guy's nuts, right? He has lost his marbles. But at the same time, it's what we do, isn't it? Right? You know, we love talking about our accomplishments, uh, the accomplishments of our children, the, our latest purchase, how much money we saved or how much money we spent how expensive it was, or, you know, whatever it is, et cetera, et cetera, the list goes on and on and on. We are worshipers. And if we aren't careful, we can very quickly find ourselves worshiping created things rather than the creator of those things. So let us choose to join with David in a commitment to praise the only one who's worthy of it. Let us add our voices to the choir and say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Verses four through nine focus on praising God for another quality and it is his abundant goodness. So let's read those again. Verses four through nine. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Well, here's some good news. This great all-powerful, infinitely good God, or, or infinitely great God is also good. Can you imagine if he wasn't? How different things would look. 
He's good. In these verses, we see David praising God for his abundant goodness. We see God's goodness in salvation. We see it by the fact that he decided to offer it to us at all. We see it simply because our salvation isn't dependent on us. It is a gift of grace through faith extended to all who would seek him. It's not because of any merit of our own, but purely, 100% dependent on the good will of a good God. See, in verse 8, we see David echo the words that the Lord spoke to Moses when he revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, that he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We see God's goodness in creation, just being able to experience the wonder of God's creation gives us a taste of the goodness of God. He didn't have to give us sunsets or mountains or oceans or flowers or a cool breeze on a hot day. He didn't have to, but he's good. In this section, we see not only the telling of God's goodness, but we also see the biblical responsibility of each generation of Christians to tell of God's goodness to the next generation. This command is seen throughout Scripture, both New and Old Testament, that parents should talk about the things of God with their children regularly, that they would not hide these truths from them, that they would, uh, in this uh, passage specifically, David speaks about the saving activity of God, the mighty acts, he calls them. For David, this would mean the exodus, the, the preservation of the Israelites in the desert and the conquering of the promised land. And for those of us who, who came after, this includes the even greater display of God's, save, God's saving power through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But David isn't just talking about the passing of information, right? David says that one generation shall commend or praise or declare God's work to the next. It involves not just a commitment to the truth, but a love for the truth. It involves a demonstrated adoration of God. The next generation should see us praise God with passion, not half-hearted or, or embarrassed to look silly. We should be a generation of believers who say, taste and see that the Lord is good, as people who have actually found the satisfying pleasure of knowing God personally. This week we are finishing a study in our midweek classes called Family Worship. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about this, it, that we would take our responsibility as Christ followers, but also as spiritual leaders seriously and treat our families like little churches and worship together regularly. Our students and children and, and loved ones should see our love for the Lord not just through a weekly gathering like this, but through the daily reading of Scripture, of prayer, and of singing together, as is shown to us in Scripture. Daily laying down our lives in honor and praise of the one who gave them to us. It is through these things that the next generation will speak the might of his awesome deeds 
declare his greatness and pour forth the fame of his abundant goodness and sing aloud of his righteousness. Verses 10 through 13 focus on another quality of God, and it is his never-ending kingdom and his kingly greatness. This is verses 10 through 13, or the first half of 13. All of your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. See, there are no successors to God's reign. His reign endures forever. God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It will never be overthrown. It will not collapse from within. And no other nation could ever hope to make the same claim. And we, as co-heirs with Christ, have citizenship of that kingdom. This world is not our home. Our true home is with the Lord in paradise for eternity. What an undeserved gift. Verses 13b through, through 20 focus on praising God for his satisfying goodness. And so we see this kind of alternating pattern of greatness and goodness that David focuses in on. And it goes like this. The Lord is faithful in all of his words and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Seeing these verses... David reminds us of the faithful provision of the Lord. Verse 14, he, he helps the weak. The Lord is good and kind, and we see here that here as well as in other places. You know, David writes in, in chapter 34, 18, it says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. You see, because our God is good, we can cry out to him when we are are fearful when we are in affliction and he is there. He is there. Verses 15 and 16, he provides for all creatures. Not only is God the creator of all things, but he is the sustainer of all things. And it is only through his abundant goodness and design that the ground can even provide sustenance for us. And not only for humanity, but for all creatures. And he answers prayer, verses 18 and 19. We can rejoice like David because our God is willing to hear our prayers. In whatever situation, we can call out to the Lord. Whether in danger or hunger or sickness or panic or fear, we can call out to God with confidence. This doesn't mean that our prayers will be answered in the way that we think they should be. But we can be confident 
that when we pray fully believing in the Lord's strength and power and not in ourselves or in worldly wisdom, he will answer. And finally, in verse 20, he protects his people. This, of course, doesn't mean that our lives are guaranteed to be easy. In fact, a lot of scripture would indicate otherwise. But it does mean that they will be eternally secure. Finally, David wraps this entire thing up with verse 21. He says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. He wraps it up again with a commitment to praise. As I stated before, we know that David wasn't perfect. But man, he knew how to praise the Lord. Right? And we, and we can learn so much from his example. In the Psalms, David is, is specifically credited with writing 70-some-odd psalms. And in those, he uses the phrase, praise the Lord, or some variation of that phrase, roughly 130 times. In, in Psalm 103, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He commands his spirit. In Psalm 42, he says, why are you downcast? Hope in the Lord. You see, there's example after example after example of David bearing his heart, being real about how he's feeling, about where he's at, but he never lets himself stay there. In these moments of of despair, he commands his spirit to praise, and his emotions and feelings follow after. He took what he knew to be true, God's love, his power, his faithfulness, his patience, his mercy, And he allowed those things to shape his feeling and his outlook, not the other way around. He reminds himself of how he has seen God come through again and again and again, not for David's sake, not to make David great, but to make God's name great. He reminds himself and responds in grateful praise. And we can too. Now we are very... In, in today's day and age, we're very sensitive to our feelings, both culturally and personally. And, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it does have risks. Right? If we aren't careful, we can allow our decisions and our values to be determined by our feelings rather than by truth. Our feelings are fickle and feeble and unreliable as sources of truth. And therefore, we must put our trust in the truth that has been given to us in God's word. Remember, it is our greatest responsibility and our greatest joy to praise the name of God. Unfortunately, and this may come as a shock to you, we, might, we aren't always going to feel like it. Right? Even though we know that a thankful heart full of praise is the best possible condition for us, sometimes we just won't care. Sometimes we'll stay up late, and the next day we just won't feel like it. Sometimes we're broken and beaten down by the world around us. Sometimes we'd honestly just rather praise ourselves. But friends, hear me. It is in those moments exactly that we must remind ourselves of the unsearchable greatness of God. 
of the abundant and satisfying goodness of God and the never-ending kingdom of God that is our true home. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. This, this isn't about working harder or doing better. This is surrender. This is, is trusting that our God really is as good and as great as our scripture says and surrendering our hearts to him in thankful praise. Now, the band's going to come out, and we get to sing this psalm together, Psalm 145. This song is called How Great, Psalm 145. And like the scripture itself, it is a declaration of praise. This psalm of praise has been, has been recited, memorized, and sung by generations of believers before us who, like us, had a choice, and they chose to praise. This isn't about getting you to, to sing louder or more passionately. This, this isn't meant to evoke some emotional response that is short-lived. This is about reminding ourselves. This is about properly understanding our rightful position under God and how he willingly humbled and humiliated himself on the cross so that we could be saved from our sin. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Let's sing.